Nice to see you out here today and joining us online. My name is Paul Graham. I'm lead pastor here at Lakeside Church. And we are in the final message, the fourth message of a mini-series that we've been looking at, finding hope in the gospel or finding hope in Christ in various areas of our life, four key areas. The first one you remember back at the start of the month was finding hope in our identity and recognizing that all of us are searching for a proper identity in our relationship to each other, in understanding ourselves, and that Christ gives us hope because our identity is first and foremost rooted in our image-bearing of God and our relationship to him as our creator. And then in the second week, we looked at hope in our idolatry and things like materialism or other things that we place and treasure higher than God and which ultimately fail us and let us down And we keep moving from one idol to the next, whether it's money or health or beauty or fame or whatever it is. And those idols end up leaving us or letting us down. And we found our hope in Christ and our hope in God and our hope in the gospel in that he is not like any other idol. He's living and active and will not fail us. And he can set us free from the bondage that we have to all those other idols in our life. And then last week we were looking at hope in suffering because if there's going to be any proposal, any answer to how can I find hope, if it doesn't address the reality of human suffering, then it's not a worthwhile answer. So whatever philosophy, whatever religion, whatever answer that you are looking for for hope in your life, it has to answer the issue of finding hope in suffering. And we looked at that last week, learning that God, there was five things we learned, but just a reminder that God does not ever waste our suffering, that he is in control of our suffering and that there's purpose in it because he is in control and he has authored its purposes and he never wastes it. He uses it for our good and his glory. So this last message now, we're going to talk about hope in relationships because for the same reason, we know that if we're looking for hope in our life, we are inevitably surrounded by people and we are in relationship with other people. And so if we're looking for an answer for hope in our life, if our answer does not address being able to find hope in relationships, then it is not a good answer. And so as we look to God and we look to the Bible and we look to Christ and look for an answer for hope in our life, we have to see that it deals with relationships. And James 4, 1-2 says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And I just want to remind you, James is writing to Christians here. And I really got to unpack this whole thing of you desire and do not have, so you murder. I mean, I don't know what church he was pastoring, but I'm glad he's pastoring it and not me. But James is speaking here to the reality of the human condition, right? We are in relationship with other people, and invariably those relationships go sour. It is a serious problem. And if you just think of your own history, you just think of your own life, the conflict and the damage in our relationships spans from our brothers and sisters. It spans siblings. You think of the schoolyards way back and the conflict you had in the schoolyards and the fights that you got into and friends and broken friendships. It extends into our marriages and that relationship to ethnic relations and what's going on between ethnic populations, historical reparations that need to be made or should be made because of things that have happened historically and all of that 
old animosity still bubbling today, of political and ideological differences, of oppression, and eventually even wars and genocide. I mean, if you just look at the problem that we have as humans in relationships, it spans every area of our life because we just cannot seem to get along with one another. So somebody has what we want. It might start with a toy that we didn't even know we want until we saw our brother had it, and then we wanted it, right? So it starts with somebody having something we want. It's a toy, or maybe it's someone's attention, or maybe it's another person's success, or it could be resources, or it could be unshared power, or it could be unreturned affection. This is what James is saying. He's saying somebody has something we want, and then too often we expect too much of what we think others owe us and what we should get, and we don't get it, so then we hold on to unforgiveness... And then we quarrel and we act and we react poorly out of ignorance and we find ourselves cut off from the very relationships that we sought out. It's like we, it's like we can't stop reliving Jane Austen novels over and over and over again. There's unmet expectations, then there's misunderstandings born from ignorance, and then there's unforgiveness for the third, second act, and then there's isolation, and then finally, you know, this is the pattern of every romantic comedy ever, Right? But we know in our own lives, it doesn't usually end with reconciliation and a laugh, right? Instead, the damage in our relationships ends friendships, it ends family relationships, it ends in divorce, it ends in anger, it ends in depression, it ends in abuse. So there's no sense considering a source of our hope if it doesn't address the reality that human beings, and not just people out there, but us, me, we have a problem Daily, monthly, yearly, we have struggles with people in our lives. And we have to have a source of hope in order to get through those struggles. We have broken relationships that cause us distress, that rob us of our joy, that wound us, that cause us to despair, and we do the same things to other people. It's reciprocal. So any source of hope that we propose has to address this issue of how are we going to have a foundation for our relationships on which we can build hope so that we can have hope in mending that damage, so that we can have hope in healing those wounds, we can have hope in restoring the intimacy in the relationships that we've broken over the course of our lives and returning to joy and security and stability in all our relationships. From the schoolyard to the workplace to our marriage, between whoever our Hatfield and McCoys are, We need to find a way to have hope in our relationships. So we're going to look to Scripture, we're going to look to God and see how God speaks to the human condition of relationship and why we can have hope because of what Christ has done and what God has done and given us in His Scripture. And I'll just pray before we look at that. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that when You offer us hope, it's a hope that covers every aspect of our life. And we're just covering four kind of big categories in this series. But everything you speak to us is about hope. And that you can redeem each and every area, whether it's in our identity, whether it's in our idolatry, whether it's in our suffering, or now in our relationships. You speak to us of the hope that you hold out and offer us as a gift if we would turn and receive it. I pray that you would open hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So just as we looked at five ways that the Bible addressed suffering last week, this week we're going to open up God's Word and we're going to discover at least four things that God has to say about our relationships with other people and where we can find hope by aligning ourselves rightly to each other and rightly to God. And the first thing 
is that we would be without hope in our relationships if others had to bear the weight of our joy. They can't. Or if we had to bear the weight of others' joy, because we can't. And this will cause us to despair if we expect others to bear the weight of our satisfaction or if others expect us to bear the weight of their satisfaction. Let me explain and show you this in Scripture. This most often appears in marriages, but it shows up in friendships and also between parents and children. We will eventually despair and lose hope in any relationship we turn into an idol. And this is just a little subsection of the second week. Any relationship where we depend on the other person for our joy and our salvation is an idolatrous relationship. I have had far more than one unhappy spouse in my office asking for help in their marriage who did not realize they are mainly unhappy, not entirely, but mainly unhappy because they have idolized their husband or their wife. And I had one woman say to me, I certainly do not idolize my husband. I'm angry and frustrated with him. It's the opposite of idolizing him. Yes, you're angry and you're frustrated because you've made him an idol. You're frustrated and angry because you are looking to him to provide you with your joy and your satisfaction, ultimately. And you believe that you have done everything that you should do. You have made meals for your idol. You have said all the right words to your husband. You have performed all the right behaviors for your idol. And now you're angry that your idol slash husband is not delivering what you've asked of it. Namely, your satisfaction, your joy, your affirmation. And so now you want to throw that idol out and get a new idol and perform all the right rituals for that new idol and hopefully it will give you affirmation and joy. You're idolizing your husband. And we talked a lot about that two weeks ago, but as this relates specifically to our relationships with other people, we have to understand that people, even good people, even Christian people, are not God. If we place our ultimate hope in a person and we expect that ultimately our satisfaction and our affirmation and our joy and our identity is going to come from that person and that they are going to be able to bear the weight of all of that expectation of us and all of our hopes and all of our joy, then we will despair because nobody can bear all that weight for you. They cannot be everything that you need them to be for you to be satisfied in life. And, this is important, neither can you bear that weight for them. Neither can you bear the weight of someone having all their hopes and expectations on you fulfilling their satisfaction and affirmation and joy. When they idolize you, you ultimately fail. And our relationships will get crushed under despair if we look to each other to be our ultimate hope and satisfaction. They cannot bear it. You cannot bear it. That is not a burden that you are meant to bear. It's not a burden they are meant to bear. It's a burden that will ultimately sabotage our relationships if we don't relieve the pressure of it. What we can do as God instructs us and teaches us through Jesus is to take the burden of bearing our joy and our satisfaction and our salvation and our affirmation off of others, take that burden and place it on God. God says that's where your ultimate joy is. I am your ultimate treasure. Not to make our spouse or our friends or even our children our greatest treasure, but to make Jesus our greatest treasure. Remember that what we treasure highest in our life is our idol. And whenever what we treasure, our idol, whenever what we treasure is threatened or lets us down, then we react in hurt and anger and despair. And so this sheds light relationally on 
what Jesus is teaching us in Luke 14, 26. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, does Jesus mean here that we have to literally hate these people in our life? No, of course not. What he means is is that we have to love them less than him. We have to treasure the joy, the security, the affirmation, the identity, the relationship of our spouse, our family, our friends, our children. We have to cherish them less than we cherish Jesus in our relationship with him. Because if we cherish them more than we cherish and treasure Jesus, then we're making idols out of them. And we will ultimately crush them and despair ourselves. And as I said, it's not just husbands and wives. And I've seen husbands do it to wives. I've seen wives do it to husbands. But I've seen people in despair because they don't have the friends they want. Or their friends keep letting them down. Because they're expecting their friends to affirm them and give them their joy and their satisfaction. I've seen parents in despair because they put all the weight of their joy on their children. And the children have not turned out the way they wanted them to. Or they have let them down. Or they haven't got the affection returned to them from their children later in life that they anticipated. And so parents are in despair because they put all of their hope of their future joy in their children. Your friends, your children, your spouse were never meant to bear the weight of serving your ultimate joy and satisfaction. And neither can you bear theirs. And the sad thing is is that many of us have worn ourselves out physically and emotionally trying to bear the weight of what someone else in your life is demanding of you. A lot of us have people in our life who have idolized us, who have told us that we have to be the source of their joy and their satisfaction and their affirmation, and if we don't satisfy them, then we're letting them down because they put all their hope in us. And some of us have physically and emotionally worn ourselves out trying to meet that expectation. You were never meant to be an idol. Their hope and their joy and their affirmation and their satisfaction is meant to be in Christ. Christ is who they're meant to treasure. God says it was never meant that you were to be an idol. And you'll find it much easier and lighter and more joyful to do it my way, the right way. Jesus sets us free from the disappointment and despair of relationship idolatry in both directions. And we can have hope that every relationship will be able to bear its proper weight and expectations only when we treasure Jesus above every other relationship and look to him. So if you're feeling that hopelessness in a relationship, like that person is just never delivering to you what you want, you need to take that burden off of them and put it on Christ. And you can find hope in all of your relationships when your ultimate joy comes from Christ and your ultimate satisfaction comes from God. And then all the other relationships that you have are like icing on the cake. The joy and the satisfaction and the affirmation and the, and the happiness that you get from those other relationships that are put in their proper relationship are all just extra. They're like ice cream on the side on top of the heart of joy and satisfaction that we have in Christ. So first and foremost, we would lose hope and we would despair if we had to get all of our satisfaction from our relationships with other people or they got it from us. But we do not have to. Our ultimate satisfaction is to come from Christ. Secondly, we would be without hope in our relationships if we had to repay every trespass and every debt. We can't. Or we would be without hope if we had to count on others to repay us the debt that they owe us. They can't. I'm sure almost all of you know the Lord's Prayer, right? You know the Lord's Prayer, you remember it? 
little test here. Let's say it together. Everybody with me. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And you notice that little piece in there, right? Forgive us our debts, or forgive us our trespasses. Who learned it trespasses? Well, that's interesting. It's not very many Bibles have that. Who learned it debts? Hardly anybody. That's interesting. You know, trespasses is actually not the right word, but that's okay. <laughs> There's actually only a couple of translations that use trespasses in Luke. It's actually not a bad translation. In Luke, he's, in, in, in Matthew, the Lord's Prayer actually is debts. In Luke, it's hamart. Amartia, which is sin, which is sometimes translated trespasses, but not there. But it's actually good. It's actually a good translation for us. But we notice that part right there in the middle there. Forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses. Either way, whether you say debts or whether you say trespasses, the meaning is clear. We have a problem in our relationship and we end up in despair and hopelessness with other people because we accrue these debts and these trespasses and they accumulate in our relationship with other people. In other words, we feel people owe us something. Or they stepped on our turf. They owe us an apology. They owe us a compliment. They owe us some contrition. Or they stepped on our ego. Or they stepped into our business. Somehow somebody owes me something or they stepped on my turf somehow and I'm disappointed in them because of that debt that they owe me or because of that trespass that they've committed. But Jesus says that in our relationship to each other, we must forgive those debts and those trespasses. It's so important that we forgive those debts and trespasses, in fact, that our forgiveness depends on it. Matthew 6.14 says, if you forgive others, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. And the Apostle Paul explains the relationship between forgiveness and ourselves and God in our relationships this way. This is all about relationships. He says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, so it's reconciliation, it's a relationship thing, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That sounds familiar, right? And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5, 18-19. So, so Paul says this idea of not counting trespasses is all about reconciliation. It's all about relationship healing. That's why we need to do this. This is why we need to forgive debts. This is why we need to forgive trespasses because God intends for our relationships to be healed. He says this is from God who through Christ reconciled first us to himself. That's the first thing. And then he gave us the ministry and the action of reconciliation so that we can reconcile with people as well through Christ. That's our ministry to be reconcilers. And so God's saying that he has an explicitly hope-filled relationship mission for you. He took the initiative through Jesus to repair the relationship between us and him. And now, because he's forgiven our debts and because he's healed our wounds in our wounded relationship, he entrusts us to deliver that same message and to live the same way. So here's why. Why, why does the Bible speak this way? Because if, because if our joyful, secure, and affirming, and happy relationships depended on us being able to repay every debt that we owed people in our life, then every single one of our relationships would fail, wouldn't they? 
I mean, if the hope of our relationship was, I am always going to be able to pay you back whatever harm I do, I can always pay you in full. That's the only way our relationship works. It will fail, because I can't repay every debt that I've ever caused people. And if your relationship with me is dependent upon you always being able to repay every wound you've ever caused me, and every debt you've ever incurred, and that's the only hope that we have for a good relationship, is if we all have perfect debt keeping, then our, our relationship is doomed to fail. Because none of us can. None of us can repay the debt that we owe to other people. We cannot heal every wound that we have caused. You can't unspill the milk. You can't uncrash the car. You can't unburn down the house. Like, whatever's happened has happened. And that debt is accumulated. We can't repay and others can't repay. So if our reconciliation and our restoration depends on repayment, then our relationships are doomed to despair. So how can we have hope in our relationship? Well, God steps in and says, I have a way out of your debt. I have a way out of your trespasses. I have a way out of your despair. I have given you the gift of my forgiveness and allowed you the freedom to forgive. I can heal what other people can't heal. Whatever offense you have done me, however you've hurt my feelings, however you've wounded me, however you have disrupted my life and taken it in a different direction or caused me you know, some sort of harm, you can't change that. But God can heal that. I can trust God to repay the debt that you can't pay. I can trust God to heal the wound and make better something that you intended for harm, God intended for good. Right? You remember we talked about Joseph last week in suffering. You can talk about Joseph in terms of relationship, right? His brothers threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery, he ended up in a slave, then he ended up in prison. Right? All of this stuff happens. Right? If, he, if Joseph's relationship with his brother depends on his brothers paying him back for what they did in his life, there is no hope for reconciliation in their, in their relationship. But the relationship between Joseph and his brothers is not dependent on, him, on them being able to pay him back. At the end of it all, Joseph says to his brothers, he's weeping and he's hugging them and he's crying, and he says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. God can repay the debt you can't repay. God can heal the wounds that you can't heal. And we all need that. Otherwise, there's no hope for our relationship. So we can have hope in our relationships because Jesus is able to heal and Jesus is able to repay what we cannot. It's the only way we can have hope in our relationships. It's possible for us to experience true forgiveness from our own debts and also truly forgive others their debts. Thirdly, in our relationships, we would be without hope in our relationships if they were ruled by our fleshly responses of anger and jealousy and shame rooted in our family and our flesh. But we can have hope because we are and we can be born again into a new family with a new spirit that has transforming power over our old nature. One of the things that can often trip us up as brand new Christians is after a few days or a few weeks of you know, being you know, newly minted Christians, gave their heart, repented, turned, they're walking in the joy of the Lord in a new way, and then they discover in a week or two that they can still get angry at people and that they can still be hurt when they're insulted and they still feel offended when someone tramples on their turf. And sometimes new Christians think, didn't I accept Jesus in my heart and, and aren't I supposed to be immune to all these things that lead us into temptation and sin? It's a bit of a trite way of phrasing it, but a real biblical truth about this is 
perhaps memorable as this. The fact is, Jesus may be in your heart, but Grandpa is still in your bones. Now, Grandpa doesn't need to stay in your bones, but when you accept Jesus in your heart, Grandpa's still there. And that just means that the human condition is one of being bound to our human heritage and our human training and our human condition, which is by its very nature fallen away from God and distorted by sin. And so if our relationships depended on our own innate ability to negotiate those relationships with all of our fallen nature, then we are doomed to failure and despair in every relationship. The fancy theological term for this in our nature is total depravity, and that doesn't mean that people are totally as bad as they could possibly be. What it means is is that there is no part of our nature that is left untouched by sin. There's no part, any part, totally across all of of our nature that we can point to and say, well, that part of it's perfect. It's not sinful at all. No, sin has touched every part of our nature. It's been damaged. And that means we get angry too easily. It means we lash out too quickly and too hard. It means we are offended when we need not be. It means we demand what is not ours. And it goes on and on and on through our nature. Our nature is fallen and sinful. Grandpa is still in our bones, even after we accept Jesus in our heart. Romans 7.15 says it this way, Paul speaking to the church in Rome. He says, For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. How many times have your natural tendencies gotten away from you in a relationship encounter, an argument, a whatever, or just stewing about an encounter afterwards, and the fruit that your actions bore were the fruit of death? that basically killed that relationship or harmed that person or harmed yourself. When we let our nature take control, it bears fruit unto death. In our relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships, with our children, you name it. Let your flesh go and the fruit it bears is death. Paul says of himself, this is the Apostle Paul, he says in Romans 7.19, for what I do is not the good I want to do, No, the evil I do not want to do, that's what I keep on doing. That's Grandpa still in his bones. So how can we have any hope in our relationships with each other if this is our nature? Remember, our answer to hope in relationships, it has to have an answer for this. If none of us are perfectly generous, none of us are perfectly patient, none of us are perfectly selfless or perfectly humble, if every virtue that would enable us to have healthy relationships is somehow tainted and falls short, then of course, eventually, every relationship we have will encounter turmoil and hurt and difficulty. Has anybody here had a relationship that has never had any difficulty in it? No, because we keep bringing ourselves into these relationships. We cannot have hope in any relationship as long as we're still under the burden of and chained to our imperfect and sinful flesh. But God has an answer. And the fancy theological term that stands in contrast to the family or the reality of our total depravity, the fancy theological term that stands in contrast to depravity is sanctification. And this is what gives us hope. Because the Bible teaches us that we need not forever be completely enslaved to our flesh. And that through what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we can be unchained from that bondage. And we can be adopted into a new family. And we begin a process of becoming less like Grandpa and more like Jesus. Romans 8.5 says, Paul goes on in Romans 8, he says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But 
Here's the hope. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So Paul says you can, you can change. And Jesus gives us the option. He says in Galatians 4, 6-7, he says, Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, no longer chained and bound to those old fleshly passions, but you are a son, and since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. You see what Jesus is saying? Well, Paul is saying it, but it's what Jesus said. He's saying you are now inherited into a new family. You're now adopted. Jesus gives us the option to not be controlled by our flesh, but instead be controlled by the Spirit. Jesus adopts us out of our old family with its human frailty and flaws and weaknesses, and he adopts us into a new family so that we can leave those old fleshly ways behind and inherit new godly ways. Whenever someone is adopted, they leave one family and they go into another, and there might be an old way that their family used to do things, but now when they're adopted into the new family, they start to learn the new ways that this family does things. And that's the same thing for us for Christians. We are born into this old family of the flesh, and then Jesus adopts us and brings us in into his family, and he begins to teach us that we don't have to live the way we used to live. So we only have hope in healthy and life-giving relationships because Jesus gives us the power to be transformed in our nature and adopts us into a new family to be set free from sinful responses. And then fourthly, we would be without hope. So let let me just review, because I think it's worth reviewing. I wanted to cover these off. So firstly, we would be without hope if we had to bear the weight of others' joy ourselves, or we intended others to bear all of our weight. But we don't have to. We would be without hope if we had to repay every debt, or other people had to repay every debt to us. We would be without hope if we had to negotiate our relationships in our sinful nature and by the ways that we grew up in this world. Fourthly, we would be without hope if we had to do it alone. We don't. We would be without hope in our relationships if there was no place or no one who God equipped to guide us. There is a place and there are people. So finally, we say, see here in Scripture that we can have hope in eventually healing the wounds of old relationships, of sanctifying ourselves for healthy future relationships, of finding forgiveness and being forgiven because we don't face any of our relationships in our life on our own. If in my life it was entirely up to me on my own to train myself, to learn on my own, to figure out how to ask forgiveness, to control my anger, to be considerate of others, to humble myself in my marriage, and a thousand other things that I need to do to redeem my futility and my inability to have joyful, healthy relationships, then I would not have made it if I had to do it on my own. My marriage would be done. I'd be angry at my son. He'd be angry at me. You people wouldn't like me. I maybe wouldn't even got out of grade school if I had to do it all on my own. But I have hope in my relationships now and in the future going forward because I didn't have to do it on my own. I have hope in my present and future relationships because I know I don't do them by myself, but I have relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ who help me in this, who God has placed me with. He's not left me as an orphan, but he's placed me in a church family to be able to do these things. Galatians 6, 1-2 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Or Jesus says in Matthew 
19.29, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. You see, both of those things say that when I sin, when I fail, when I don't make it, when I'm blowing it in my relationship, whatever it is, I have brothers and sisters and spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers who come alongside me and bear that burden and correct me and train me and set me right and heal, help me heal those relationships. Right? Jesus says, even if you have to give up fathers and mothers and you have to give up friends and you have to give up old connections, I'm going to give you, when you come to me, I'm going to give you a hundred times as many. I'm going to put you in a family that gives you hundreds of spiritual brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and fathers and mothers, and those, that spiritual family will be there for you. And so we have hope in our relationships because we don't have to do them alone. We have a church family who will come alongside us and bear the burden of our blowing it in our relationships. And that gives us hope. We have hope because Jesus has placed us in something that he created, the church, which is where people with broken relationships, which is everybody, are meant to go and find mercy and grace and wisdom and strength. So those are just four ways that when we say that God has given us hope in our relationships, those are four ways in which in our own life, whether it's idolatry, whether it's debts we can't repay, whether it's expectations, whether it's our sinful nature and our flesh, whether it's the fact that we feel like we're doing it alone, any of those areas in our relationship struggle, God says, it was never meant to be that way. There's an answer. There's an answer. There's an answer. There's an answer. There's hope. There's hope. There's hope. There's hope. So considering your own relationships and where you need to reach out and reach into God's provision for your hope, consider those things. Think about which of those four things or maybe all four of those four things you need to do. If you have never in your whole life considered that God has an answer for the brokenness and despair that you have experienced in your relationship, just know that because of his great love for you, he desires to set you free from the expectations of others. He desires to set you free from your discouragement of being let down or deceived or abused by others. God desires to heal the many wounds of your relationships. He desires to set you free from the guilt and the shame of your own failure in relationships. He's given you his word and his church, and most importantly, he can give you his Holy Spirit, a new nature. And you can be adopted into a new family that is rooted in the hope of what Jesus has done and to redeem all relationships and bring unity in himself. There is hope in relationships if you set your hope on Christ and what he has done. Or if you're a Christian and you have not fully understood the real application of your faith or how to live it right now, if you have thought somehow that your faith in God was mainly about some future reward, then understand today that you can lay hold of the promises of God right now. The work of Jesus on the cross and the Spirit of God causes us to be born again now. It causes us to be sanctified now. We have the opportunity to push Grandpa out of our bones and get Jesus in there. We have the, have the ability to experience victory now, to begin the healing and redeeming of our brokenness now, to be set free from the bondage of our sinful behavior now so that we no longer have to endure despair of hopeless relationships. God has given you his Holy Spirit. He's made you a new creation. He's adopted you into a new family. He's given you a new household of faith and his word so that you need not despair. 
but instead can have hope in every broken relationship you're experiencing right now. Even and especially the relationships that you broke. God can bring healing to those. The transformative power of a community, of a church, of Christians that live that way. We would see, if we began to live in the hope in those four areas and 20 others in Scripture, but if as Christians we began to get those types of things into our relationships and experience hope in our relationships that way, we would see the new kingdom of heaven breaking in more and more and more. More than just little glimpses of it here and there, we would feel like heaven was really arriving on earth, like the the kingdom was really breaking in the way Jesus says that it was. And, And we would see that kingdom breaking in in restored and resilient friendships in restored and resilient marriages, in restored and resilient family relationships. We would see it in redeemed ethnic relationships and redeemed political relationships. Every relationship that we have can be brought under the grace and mercy and love of Christ to experience healing if we will turn to Him in hope and stop putting our hope on ourselves, on our flesh, on others, on getting paid back, whatever it is that we hope is going to heal that relationship, it will ultimately let us down until we get our hope in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we've been looking at all the different ways in which we turn to your word and turn to you to find hope, and this one of relationships is obviously highly significant to all of us. There are none of us in this room right now that don't have broken relationships, that haven't ourselves contributed to the breaking of a relationship. And so, Father, I ask that we would get our, myself, I would ask that we get my heart aligned correctly, that all of these brothers and sisters would get our hearts aligned correctly, that our hope would be in you, that we would trust you for debt repayment and for forgiveness and for healing, that we would set aside our sinful nature and not be led by our flesh, but led by the Spirit. Father, I pray that we would recognize that you've not left us alone, but you've placed us in a church with brothers and sisters to give us hope in our relationships and to help us in healing and and bearing these burdens. Father, as we turn through your scripture time and time again, you say, don't do it that way. Never meant for you to do it that way. Do it this way. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. I mean to unchain you and set you free from the hopelessness of those relationships that you've broken, to see them wounded and repaired. I've given you the ministry of reconciliation. Father, I know that your heart is one of mercy and compassion for each and every one of us that has hurtful and devastatingly broken relationships in our past. But I know that you are the great redeemer. And there's nothing you can't restore. There's nothing you can't redeem. There's nothing you are not working for our good. We thank you, Father, for that and place our hope there in Christ's name.